The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by Hello, everyone. Welcome to the New Age Christian Podcast. My name is Austin Fletcher, and I will be your host for this episode. This is episode number two, and today we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart when it comes to Christianity in the New Age and what changes I believe need to be made in how we view the world. Have you ever wondered why so many Christian products and so many Christian companies seem mediocre compared to what the world produces? Have you ever wondered where the vision for the church went? Why are we here? And is it really just so that we can leave and go to heaven someday? So in this episode, we're going to answer some of these questions and we're going to talk about preterism. We're going to talk about uh, the views of the end times and, and some brief overviews. And most importantly, we're going to talk about why does the Christian church, why are we here, what is our purpose, and what are we going to do about it? Well, here we are, episode number two of the New Age Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Today, I want to start a series, a small series, on a couple of lenses that uh, I believe are important for you to understand. If you have any interest in New Age Christianity, uh, what it is that um, I believe, the community that I fellowship with, uh, where it is we're going, and why. And um, these lenses, uh, I'm assuming, I I haven't officially planned it out, but I'm guessing it'll be two or three episodes more. Um, And then we'll really try to get into the community forum, as mentioned in the first episode, um, and start answering questions and discussing topics that are are very present mind for the community. Um, But first, there is some underpinning beliefs, and and it's some perspectives that really deserve some attention. Namely, today, I want to talk about uh, having hope for the future and having a view of the world that gives us room to think big and gives us the, honestly, the, the motivation to think beyond just witnessing to people, just getting people, quote unquote, saved just doing missions work. While all that is really good, as I mentioned in the intro, um, have you ever wondered why on earth do so many, whether it's Christian music or Christian uh, companies, Christian movies, like if you're one of those people that loves Christian music and Christian movies and you don't see any difference between what the world's producing and what the church is producing, you know, God bless you. I, I do know that, that the quality of what Christian the Christian community has been putting out has really uh, improved in the last decade or so. But still, uh, I, I don't think a lot of people would argue that for whatever reason, um, the church has almost detached itself 
from the cutting edge of society. And we're always seem to, we always seem to be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years behind. Um, and if there's technologies, if there are uh, social movements, uh, whatever it is, so many products and companies and services that the, that the church produces uh, just seem to be lagging behind. Um, and I think it is tied to the same subject as um, the same reason why we think the only job we have is to go get people saved. Why the only thing they know of us is what's wrong with them and what's wrong with the world. And if you, if you can tie those two subjects together and you can realize that both what we do produce on a, on a produ- productivity side and what the message we're sharing on a uh, relational side, that both of them carry inside them a perspective that our entire job is to help people get to heaven. And that perspective is so backwards from what I believe Jesus meant when he came to bring heaven to earth. That perspective really does limit us from the ability to go out and have the drive to produce the best products, to go out and have the drive to produce influence in people's lives. Forget about just getting them saved. How about being their politicians? Forget about just getting them to heaven. How about getting them products and services and experiences that show them that heaven is on earth, that Christ is in us, and that they get to experience what it is to live this life we say we live every day. And so today we're going to talk about a world without end and definitely flies in the face of the traditional concept of the rapture. Definitely flies in the the face of the traditional concept of the end of the world being destroyed by fire. And, And it also flies in the face of what a lot of the scientists are putting at us of global warming is going to kill us all, or a solar flare is going to kill us all, or something's going to kill us all. So to be honest, whether you bought into the Christian version or the world's version, I want to present a third option. And I want to present an option that really uh, challenges your heart, not just your head. Because at the end of this discussion, I want to cover why does this matter? Why does it matter to change the way you view the future? So uh, there's kind of three parts that we're going to go over. One is a bit of a historical um, data about what happened scripturally speaking, when you look at the prophecies of the Bible about the, the end. Um, and then the second part, uh, I want to actually take a different view on the book of Revelation than, I know it's different than anyone I've ever been taught or heard, including some of the most cutting edge teachers I know. Um, it's just a perspective that, uh, you know, I will share my heart about it and you can do with it what you will. And then last but not least is to discover and discuss why it is that this all matters. So, um, first of all, just if you've never heard of preterism, um, I encourage you to Google it. Uh, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-M. Preterism. And the basic premise of preterism is that all of the scriptures, 
all of the prophecies about the end times, about the end of the world, whether it be Daniel 2 and Daniel 9 or Daniel 12, whether it be Matthew 24, Luke 21, I think it's Mark 14, um, a lot of the, the stuff that the apostles had to say in their letters, um, small prophecies here and there in the other prophets in the Old Testament, and then little conversations Jesus had. Uh, so many prophecies about someday everything's going to come to an end. Someday uh, all of the sickness and disease and all of this stuff will be finished. And the big question that honestly has to be answered up front is if this stuff is not in our future, and if the end of this stuff is not in our future, then when was it? Um, and we obviously look around and we go, well, people are still getting sick or people are still dying. So clearly it hasn't happened yet. And the proposal of preterism is that those scriptures have already been fulfilled. And historically, we have one, we've lost sight of their fulfillment, like the events that took place. Two, we've misinterpreted a lot of the cryptic language, because let's be honest, there's not a single one of those prophecies that isn't cryptic if you put it through the lens of the world we live in. Um, and so preterism presents the belief that all of those prophecies, or at least a vast majority of them, were fulfilled in the year 70 A.D., now, if you don't know what happened in 70 AD, put yourself in the mind of a Jew in the time of Jesus, and we'll just go with Matthew 24, where he stands up and he says, this stuff is going to happen, right? All of, all of these signs will happen, all of these things are going to take place, and all of this will happen by the end of this generation. Now, Hebraically speaking, a generation has always been 40 years. I don't care what you've heard, because I know there's revisionist history that says, oh, no, it's 70 years. And now there's more revisionist history that says it's 120 years. But Hebraically speaking, it was always 40 years, and it comes from 40 years in the wilderness. That that generation had to die away before they could enter the promised land. Hence, 40 years is a generation. The math isn't that hard. It's just very, very difficult for people to be honest about it because they want to tie all of this stuff to Israel being made a, a nation again. And so you had your 88 reasons why Christ is going to come back in 1988 um, and, and so many other things. And now because every year that they predict the return of Jesus comes and goes without it happening, <laughs> they revise it. Oh, well, the generation's now 80 years or 120, and then it's going to be 240, and they're going to have all these biblical numbers for why a generation is what it is. But let's be, it, the truth is, is when Jesus spoke it, he was talking to a people and saying, in 40 years or less, this stuff will happen. Now, here's the really cool part, guys. You may not know this, but Jesus... We can track when he was saying that, right? Is this during the feast? It's it's a very it's a Jewish holiday, right? And he's standing up and saying, 40 year within forty years this will happen. Uh, a generation. And here's the thing. The destruction of Rome began forty years to the day 
of that same day on the Jewish calendar. So 40 years later to the day, as I think it's Paul who says, or uh, uh, maybe it's John who says that God is waiting for the very last moment that all who can be saved would be saved. So literally 40 years to the day later, finally God pours out the last of his wrath on Jerusalem. And really it's on the law. He didn't pour out his wrath on Jerusalem as a people, as a, I hate you, you need to all die. It's his wrath is poured out on the law. And if in the longer you stay engaged with New Age Christianity, the longer you start to understand some, some of the lenses that we hold. Um, the picture of what Israel was, you cannot remove Israel from what they meant in the grand scheme of things. You can't remove Israel from the story that their journey told. As a matter of fact, if, and I don't believe this, but if Israel was a fictitious nation that never existed, which some people do, I don't know how, but some people do believe that most of it was just, was fiction. Um, it still would not affect my view of what Israel is in the story of God because they were one giant analogy. And I do believe it, it's actual history. And I would say the difference between analogy and what is known as typology is that analogy is a story that means something more than what it looks like on the surface. And typology is the same thing, but it's historical fact. So I believe Israel as a whole is a typology that they were really a nation and that they really had, you know, the stories that we know of, but that those stories were meant to tell you something. And this is really important when we get into the second part, because you are Israel, you are the temple, you are the house of God, the body of God, the people of God. And so if you don't understand that Israel was a, 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 a type of what the church is now, um, then you, you're not going to understand so much of the how it is that I unpack the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Um, and I guess it's probably a good place as any is right out the gate. Uh, if you're listening to this New Age Christianity for the first time and you hear me say that and you're wondering, is this a replacement theology? Um, I would like to call it a fulfillment theology. Like there's no need to replace something that's been fulfilled in Christ, right? So if Christ fulfilled it and he was the last Adam and all of that has come to an end, as we'll see here in a second with, with what happened in 70 AD, then there's really no replacing Israel. It's just an extension of Israel. Like it, it's it's never going back. There is no reason to go back under the law. There's no reason to go back under those concepts. And I find any journey back there very often, unless you're going for understanding of the truth, any journey back to the ways of the Israelites and the ways of Judaism is really a journey back to the other side of the cross. Um, and that's another episode for another time. But if you're wondering if I think the church has replaced Israel, I guess if you had to pin me down to yes or no, then I would say yes, because it's all over scripture that, that we are, we are the new Jerusalem. We are Israel. 
Um, but at my heart, it's not really even about that. It's kind of, it's kind of like asking what's the marital status of the number five. Like at some point, the question is rather invalid. Um, it's just, it's, it's got too many premises underneath it that I don't even hold anymore. So, um, nonetheless, I digress. That is a perspective of Israel where I find all of the value in those stories as lenses, as typologies for what is true of us. And so, um, what really happened in 70 AD, as I mentioned, uh, to the day from the time Jesus said that all of these things were going to happen in, within a generation, uh, to the day, that's when Jerusalem was destroyed. And so I'm not going to get an in-depth study on, on that so much. If you want an amazing resource on that, you can check out Jonathan Welton's book, um, Raptureless. Uh, he's got, he gets into the history of it and gets into historical writings by Tacitus or, um, Josephus and anything like that, where they tell you what really happened. And it's, it's amazingly eye-opening when you realize, oh my goodness, <laughs> for instance, the Mark of the Beast, this is just one example. The Mark of the Beast was a very real reality for the Jews, especially the Christian Jews, because as things got worse and worse, uh, Nero at the time uh, wanted to be worshipped. And if you're familiar with uh, even Middle Eastern culture, just just normal culture at that time, most people did their shopping at a place called the Agora. And the Agora was like an ancient version of a shopping mall, right? Or, or a grocery store. And so at the front, at the entrance to every Agora, there was a statue of Nero. And before you could shop, before you could buy or sell, uh, and go into the Agora and actually do business, you had to stop at the statue and take some of the ashes from the, from the sacrifice in front of it and put them on your forehead or on your hand. And if you know in the book of Revelation, it says that you cannot buy or sell without the mark of the beast on your forehead or your hand. And if you go historically and look at the, one of the many nicknames Nero had, um, one of them was the beast. So... Literally, you could not buy or sell or trade in the Agora if you did not have ashes from the altar of Nero on your forehead or on your hand. And we think it's going to be microchips in our, in our, underneath our skin. And while I'm not saying that it's smart to let the government track you, <laughs> um, we do it anyways with our phones and our credit cards and our cars and everything else. I'm not saying I, this is not about um, convincing you that there's nothing to be aware of, but it is about removing this false uh, fear that everywhere you turn, um, it's the beast, it's the Antichrist, it's the end of the world. God's going to kill you if you do this and do that. Like, guys, Jesus didn't come to put you in bondage, Jesus came to set you free from that stuff. Have you ever considered? that your fear and your bondage to that stuff is not only is it miserable, it's not, it's a miserable way to live, but it's really looking at Christ and saying, whatever you did, thank you, but it wasn't enough. Um, we're not meant to live in bondage to anything. And yet 
we have been bound by fear of an antichrist and fear of like i still know people who think that upc codes um somehow somebody came out with this idea that they all start and end with 666 or something like that i don't know that's just some of the stuff that i've heard over the years you're just like what in the world like christians come on people please just uh, read a history book and understand that um the end of the jewish world uh happened in 70 AD. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of the facts that allow me to see that the end came. One, there's not a single verse in the New Testament or the Old Testament that talks about the end of the cosmos, which cosmos is the Greek word for universe, world, right? Uh, Obviously, there would be no Greek words in the Old Testament. So but there's still no reference to the end of the universe in the old Testament either. Um, so you have no scriptures that talk about that, but you do have the scriptures that talk about the end of the age. And you also have a couple scriptures that talk about the end of the G, which G E, which is their version of like the known world. Um, so we all have our world in the sense of our, you know, that's not part of my world you know, uh, what's going on in Pakistan is not really part of my world. It might be part of your world, but it's not part of mine. And so you're talking to a bunch of Jews saying that their world is going to come to an end. Uh, And they knew the ages. They knew that time uh, covers uh, ages known, you know, or epochs or epochs that about every 2000 years, everything changes. And they knew that they were coming up on the change of an age and they were coming into the age of Pisces and Pisces. The sign of Pisces is the sign of the fish, which is why Christianity took on the sign of the ichthus, which is the sign of the fish that took it on as a sign of identity because Jesus taught us to be fishers of men. And there's so much there, but in, you know, it's a beautiful study to do. But they understood that when Jesus and the apostles were talking about the end of the world, they understood it was the end of their age, the end of the law, the end of the Mosaic covenant, the and the entrance into the new covenant with the Messiah and everything like that. The, the entire Jewish nation was, had expectation for this shift. They knew it was coming. And if you go historically, there were hundreds of messiahs that showed up. Um, one of whom, John Levi, actually fulfilled the other scriptures where he sat in the temple, in the throne room, sat there, proclaimed himself to be God, right? Told his followers to worship him. And <laughs> when they were surrounded by armies uh, for three and a half years, Rome surrounded Jerusalem and uh, sieged Jerusalem to starve them out. One of the things John Levi did was he told his followers to burn all the storehouses because he was going to save them. So all of his all of his followers burned the food storage of Jerusalem and ended up killing even hundreds of thousands of more people because they had no food. Um, And I'm just touching on little pieces to kind of give you some hints like, guys, these cryptic verses and these these things that we're afraid of, they've already happened. 
They were very real for a Jewish people who watched their temple burn. The temple was laden with gold on the inside, and when it burned, all the gold melted into the cracks. So guess what they did? They took every stone off of each other. So literally, as Jesus says, not one stone was left on another. Why? Because the gold had melted in between the stones. So that happened. The Antichrist sitting in the temple proclaiming himself to be God. That happened. The mark of the beast. That happened. Right? And here's the real kicker for me as someone who has studied Judaism and and the typologies of the Old Testament. Here's how you know everything changed and that that it's never going to go back. And that is since 70 AD, there's never been a high priest. There's never been a temple. There's never been a sacrifice. There's never been uh, another uh, feast. Literally, Jerusalem was done. And if you understand at all how important those locations, those services, those genealogies, if you understand even a bit of how important all that is, when you consider that that was the, the day that all of that came crashing down and it has never come back, you understand just how much it really means to, to say that their world came to an end that the covenant came to an end and that since then it has never come back. And I won't get into a commentary on about people rebuilding the temple and all that. That I think is also in scripture and it's a whole nother level of bondage that the church is, is marching headlong into. I'm here to try to appeal to those who would understand a more spiritual view of Israel and much less of a natural view. Um, And hopefully this resonates with you and you can go, yeah, that makes a lot more sense than all the mumbo jumbo I've been hearing. Um, This is super deep and a super big subject. Um, And I feel like I've covered it enough to give you some nuggets. Like, guys, the end of the world, quote unquote, that the Bible talks about primarily has already happened. Um, Now, there's different people that hold kind of varying levels of perspective on that. There's partial preterism, full preterism. Um... You know, uh, I'm a full preterist. I believe there's only one thing that, that scripture even talks about that is still left to be done, and that is in 1 Corinthians 15, when it says uh, that the last enemy to be defeated is death. Um, and he, you know, this, and then you put that together with Hebrews, that he's seated at the right hand, um, waiting. Um, the reality is, is that there is one more thing to do, and it's our job to do, and that is to defeat death. And, and when that happens, he will then give everything back to the Father. The Father will once again be all in all. So there is one more cosmic event on the way, which is why there's one more age of, of time to come. Uh, and I believe it's the age of Aquarius. It's the age where we step into our fullness as humanity and we step into immortality, which is why the body is the last thing to be redeemed and so on and so forth. There is still one more thing to be done. So in that sense, some might argue that I'm not a full preterist, but when it comes to Christ and his job and the quote unquote end of the world, I am a full preterist, Um, even down to how I view uh, his return, um, which would be another subject for another time. So um, yeah, 70 AD, the, the old system died and everything died with it. 
and the mark of the beast and the antichrist and all of that stuff uh was there um and if you if you want more on it i suggest jonathan welton martin trench lynn hiles they're some of my favorites um and there's different views by the way there's there's other views of the end times that don't necessarily put everything in our future um but this is really preterism to me is the one that allows all of that pain and suffering and horribleness to be in our past and kind of opens up a perspective like maybe maybe we have something to do while we're here um so this doesn't really answer something that what i've said so far doesn't answer something that i've seen and struggled with and that is the perspective of the book of revelation now a lot of what i mentioned is in the book of revelation but the book of Revelation is actually, I mean, if you want to know what it is, just read the first line. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you're reading the book of Revelation through a lens of fortune telling, you're reading it wrong. This book is about the revealing of Jesus Christ. And I would, I would emphasize that lens by saying... This book is about the revealing of Christ in you. And so if you're going to study preterism, you're going to study the end, you're going to naturally want to go to the book of Revelation. But I want to add kind of a perspective that if Israel is, if, if you are indeed Israel and you are indeed the temple and you are indeed uh, the body of Christ, then the book of Revelation about the temple, about the Israelites, about the, the all of the things in there, about Christ himself, is really a book about us. That it's the revealing of Christ in us. And so there is a whole second set of lenses that I would encourage you to put on when you study Revelation, even though it is end times and even though I am a preterist. I would also argue. I would also. I would also argue that inside of that is another layer of depth available to you. That you experience the seven churches. That you experience the seven bowls, the seven trumpets. That you are the bride of Christ. That you are the church in the wilderness. That the 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 woman clothed with the sun is is us. And that the Antichrist is the spirit that's been around, always been around. You know, that the book of Revelation specifically is very applicable for today, for yesterday, and for tomorrow. Because Christ in you, the revealing of Christ in you, is in some ways continuous, but at the very least, as long as there's people that still need it, it's still applicable today. And so... Um, that, I mean, the book of Revelation, good grief, that would be an entire class in of itself. But I just want to kind of touch on that because if you go to Jonathan Welton's book, Raptureless, I, I love, absolutely love the front chunk of that book, which talks about Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Daniel 2 and Daniel 9 and Daniel 12. I mean, it's, it's such an amazingly well-written, thorough presentation of the historical realities of 70 AD. But then you get into the second part, which is, I can't remember what it calls it, um, 
something about Revelation. And it's and it's in his second edition and further. I don't think his first first edition even has it. Um, but he 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 unpacks Revelation and he uses the same lens, and he uses the same lens of uh, history history and and fact. And yet, you know, Jonathan, if you ever listen to us, I love you, but it's pretty darn obvious that the language of Revelation is vastly different than anything that Jesus has to say about the future, anything that Daniel has to say about the future. Um, Maybe some similarities to Daniel or Zechariah, but good grief. It is so incredibly prophetic and poetic and typological. I mean, unless you really believe a dragon's going to come out and stand on the sea and the land, or you really believe that Christ's going to come out of the clouds and all the earth will see him, even though the earth is a globe and the line of sight doesn't really work. Um, unless you really believe that there's going to be scorpion headed things that biting people. And I mean, there's no, there's no doubt. There's no debate that it is prophetic in language and therefore you have to put a different lens on than if you're going to go study Matthew 21 or Mark Mark Matthew 24 or Luke 21 where Jesus is talking about events that are really going to happen and that lens that I have is that the book of Revelation is a book about you and it's a book about Christ in you the hope of glory and it's a book that applies to you regardless of when and where you are in time and it also applies to what really happened in 70 AD so I have room in my spiritual toolbox, if you will, to hold scriptures in multiple lenses and not think that they discount from each other. Um, especially, I mean, heck, the entire Old Testament I view as typology. So I, I look at a picture of the temple or I look at a picture of David's life and I see so many parallels that... Uh, it's become very easy for me to look at scripture through multiple lenses and not have to pick one. Um, and it's not even a matter of uh, just guessing or, or doing what I want. There are rules to interpreting that way. Um, the longer you stick around, the more you'll realize I'm not just a fly-by-night Bible interpreter. <laughs> I don't just go, oh, it, feel like, it feels like that would be right. Um no, I'm, I'm extremely uh, systematic in how I unpack scripture, but it is very true that, that I can hold multiple lenses on a scripture and, uh, and still believe them both to be true. So, Revelation, if you are Israel, if you are Christ, if you are the body of Christ, and Revelation is, is the revealing of Christ this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, then it is really a revelation of you. And it's a revelation of us as a whole. Um, so last, I mean, going over preterism, going over the book of Revelation, I've, I've just done a quick overview, uh, primarily because I know a lot of you don't need the depth and the math and the technical insight. For those of you who do, this will absolutely be a class at some point, um, unpacking preterism, unpacking uh, Revelation, probably two different classes, because I know a lot of us have, have grown up 
in this Christian world of rapture and have grown up with a lot of perspectives that uh, didn't serve us well, but we don't know what to replace it with. And so I want to answer those questions for you. This podcast is not the place for that. Um, And for a lot of you, this will be all you ever really hear of preterism. And you'll go, yep, that sounds good. I like that. You might, some of you might Google a few other things and read a book or two, and then you're done. And for whoever you are and however much information you want, I encourage you to go get it. Because at the end of this, at the end of the day, why? Why have... Why take the time to revisit what you've been taught about the future? And all I can say is, and the best way I can say it, is your view of the future absolutely determines your actions today. If you believe that there's no reason to start a business, if you believe there's no reason to have kids, if you believe there's no reason to uh, push into spiritual skills like walking on water or you know, paying taxes with fish money, then you're not going to. You're going to become complacent. You're going to sit back. You're going to let life happen. And you're going to go, well, my job is to just live and then go to heaven. And this is the thing that I really, really want to drive home in this podcast is that I want to be surrounded by a group of passionate believers who don't, who aren't obsessed with leaving earth, who aren't obsessed with getting people saved from hell. And, and essentially those two versions, leaving earth and getting people saved from hell, what they, what they are is this, it's the yin and yang, if you will, of Aren't your your primary lens that gives you those two outcomes is our existence is for after we die. Whether it's heaven or hell, my primary lens is I'm here to die. And maybe have a good time on the way. And however you define good time. And most of the time <laughs> that just makes for a miserable time. Right, Because now you're so worried about getting to heaven and doing good, or you're so worried about not going to hell and doing bad, that you don't get to live. And Christ said, I came that you'd have life and have life abundant. He didn't say, I came that you'd go to heaven. Think about that. He never said, I came that you would be, you would get the golden pass to heaven. Right? The kingdom of God is not about the future. The kingdom of God is about right now. Do you have the fruit of the spirit? Do you have passion? Do you have vision? Do you have a reason to be here? Do you know where you're going? And I want to be surrounded by a bunch of people who realize that the church is here to take over. The church isn't here to take off. You know, uh, when you talk about the inheritance of the earth, you realize the old, the old Testament says that we inherit the earth, right? And that the treasures of the wicked are laid up for the righteous. And yet there are people I've known people. If, if a lot of you remember Harold camping from man what was maybe five, six years ago. Um, and there was a whole group of people that gave up their life savings and 
put up billboards all over the world because I think it was September 21st or March 23rd. There's so many dates. I, I keep putting them on my calendar and then I miss it because I'm busy. Um, you know, I just, I, I don't got time for the rapture bus right now, but, um, if anybody of you haven't missed it, let me know. But <laughs> I don't know how you would let me know, but you get the point because it never happens. It never happens. And they're always wrong. And they're always trying to do some math saying it's in the future. And it has robbed them of their vision for now. I knew a dude who spent his entire life savings. He, he ended up leaving his family because they thought they were crazy. They thought he was crazy. Um, his wife divorced him and that. He, he ended up living in front of his basement, spending every dime he had on billboards. I think it was $180,000, something like that. And uh, when the day came and went, he ended up killing himself um, because he'd lost everything. And the day went by. And did you know that I think it's, I, I don't want to, I won't use a name because I can't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure I know who it is. That one of those guys who led those movements two weeks before the date that he said every told everyone that the rapture was going to happen, he bought a mansion on the beach in Florida. And so clearly, while he was telling everybody he was going to get out of there, he was sure enjoying the financial benefits of everyone giving him his money, giving them their money. And that is not unheard of. And at some point, you have to realize this, all it's doing is robbing the church of its vision. All it's doing is robbing the church of its purpose. And I mean it. Like when you look at Christian movies, when you look at Christian companies and Christian products, while they're getting better, I don't think any, a lot of people would not deny that they're just not that good. And I don't think the reason is because we're, we lack creativity. I think the reason is because we bypass, we pass on the ideas that the father wants to give his people. And we go, oh, start the next Microsoft? No, 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 I'm going to get out of here. I don't got time for that. And so the next Microsoft I get goes to Bill Gates, right? Oh, start the next Facebook? No, 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 I don't have time for that. I've got to, I'm going to get out of here. I need to get people saved. And, and our, my entire reason for being is to go somewhere else. And so we miss the ideas and we miss the creativity. And then we really lack the the passion and the drive to dig deep into our creativity from a from a product design standpoint or from a uh, you know art standpoint and i know so many christians who are just done with that i know so many christians who want to give god our best and we want to show the world how much more capable we are than what we've proven in the past. And yet we just can't seem to break through the barrier. And I'm telling you, it's because of our theology, our eschatology about, you know, eschatology is a is theological word for your view of the end um, and the end times. Um, and so our eschatology has destroyed our vision. And even those who want to give the world a great showing on behalf of Christianity and produce amazing products. Our eschatology has just got us stuck. And so there's a reason I chose to have this as the first real episode for New Age Christianity. And that is to really start it off on the right foot and say, guys, 
I want a bunch of people who have gotten past the get out of dodge mentality and have looked at the world we live in as a world without end. And if you're not going to go anywhere and your job is to bring the kingdom here and not die and go to the kingdom, then what are you going to do about it? I know what I'm doing about it. I'm doing New Age Christianity. I've got other companies uh, working with a company called theepic.org. I've got gentlemenscompany.com. It's just a, a, a site that I'm running. I've got other projects I'm working on, Belief IQ. And, and uh, this, isn't, this isn't me trying to... <laughs> those aren't commercials. Um, this episode brought to you by all of Austin's other companies. No, this is... This is me saying, I woke up a few years ago to this and what has come out of it is such a drive. I'm an entrepreneur by heart, so I'll always run five or six companies at a time, if not more. I'm not saying you have to do that, but what is your vision? And if you don't have one and you don't know how to get one, just take some time to revisit what you think about the end. Take some time to revisit what you think about the rapture, what you think about the mark of the beast, the end of the world, all of that good stuff or not so good stuff. If you can take your time and rethink that, read Jonathan Welton, listen to Martin Trench. I'm going to be putting resources, uh, probably never ending list of resources on newagechristianity.org. Um, and educate yourself. And if this podcast is enough and you're like, nope, good, I'm good to go. Great. Good for you let the fire of hope for the future kind of create a vision in you. And, um, you know, let's, let's head this way together and let's show the world that the church is here to stay. We do know what we're doing and that we have vision for how it is that we can bring the kingdom to them. And, Guys, I just thank you for your time as always. I thank you for uh, sharing this time with me. I know these days time is precious. So I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got any questions, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks, the forum will be up and live. These podcast episodes will be on the website and you can respond with questions. You know, at this point in the story, I'm not so busy that I can't respond. Eventually, hopefully there'll be enough to where I won't, I, I may not always be able to respond right away, but um, this is some good stuff. This is stuff that changed my life years ago, and I've just been told so many times, like Austin, people need to hear this. Austin, people need to hear this. People need to hear this, and now I'm okay. Here we go. This is part of my vision, and thank you for uh, sharing it with me. God bless you guys, and see you next week on the next episode. Mm-hmm.